0: Hello, this is Julie Bindle, and today I'm in Oslo, Norway, speaking with Tanya Gevion. And I think I've probably mispronounced that hideously, but Tanya is an artist and a lesbian. She's been an activist for most of her adult life. And she stood up for lesbian rights. And right now, she's under threat of three years in prison for refusing to accept that men can be lesbians. Yes, let that sink in. And for that purpose, she's hitting back. She's refusing to capitulate to this mad transgender ideology. And she's on her way first thing tomorrow morning to the UK to do a tour beginning at Caunton Vale prison just outside of Edinburgh a notorious women's jail that you might have heard a lot about in the media recently Tonya and I had a good chat in a hotel in Oslo and it was such a pleasure to meet her I can't tell you
1: my name is I'm a lesbian artist my main art project is the lesbian performance group the Hungry Hearts and we've been performing at the art and LGB since 2007 and mainly we it's about we talk about female body gender roles and also the I mean the LGB subculture Amon? How
0: old were you and what year was this when you came out as a lesbian?
1: I never actually think I came out. I was like a tomboy. Everybody thought I was a boy when I was little. I, I played football. It was my one passion. And other lesbians also played football. So we met in different... When it was like competitions and we just knew and found each other. So when I was... Uh, like beginning to be a, te- a teenager, we were like uh, flirting, and at that time, I, I, I had no access to porn. It was it didn't exist, so we didn't know what to do. So we just tried to. We were shy and trying to find out how to yeah, kiss, how to how to do things. <laughs> so when I think I was maybe the last generation who was not affected from porn, like we had to, and adults didn't uh, try to teach us how to do things. So actually it just came from within. So your sex education wasn't through
0: pornography as it is. So what age are you now? I'm 55. And I'm 60. So we're of a similar generation. And I would say the same, although obviously different contexts. So I grew up in England in the UK and definitely avoided the digital porn. And in fact, just came into feminist campaigning when pornography became more readily available on VHS yeah. for men. So they were out of the sex cinemas and into the home, which was mm. terrible for women. Mm. But you, you talk about this in the context of being a teenager. Mm. So a girl, a young woman who was gender non-conforming would be the term now. Yeah, But I like tomboy. I think tomboy is mm. really cool. Mm. And then what happened when you met lesbians and began to I suppose have that realisation that that is part of who
1: you you are. For me it's like I, I found the places in the city, Oslo that were for gay and lesbians first at 16 and then we also had lesbian only place. So this is, that, that was my second home. There it was lots of lesbians different sorts of Lesbians, and for me to come into a room and it's only women, it's a very special atmosphere. And it reminded me of when I was younger, and we I was at the swimming pool and in the shower, because I felt really awkward. I felt there was something wrong in my body, and also because people called me the boy. Right. Yeah. So I felt really there must be something wrong. And when the puberty started, it was like I didn't want to look like my mother. (laughs) <laughs> because you don't when you're in the teens, and then but then I was in the shower and it was like old ladies, young ladies in the middle. Some had one breast because of cancer, and there were is all these different bodies. And I just understood that okay, I'm I'm normal. I'm somewhere in between all these all these strange beautiful bodies. So it was, and it was the same at this uh, lesbian only place. It was like all from the. A bit, you know, depressed, butch drinking beer, but very, they were like protecting young girls. And then you had like these young tomboys like me. And it for me, it was this uh, I mean, today there's no such places. And I think it's really sad for young lesbians that they don't have a place like this because it is like a home for, yeah. And what
0: age were you when you first started going to the lesbian only club venue?
1: It started up in in the nineties, so i was i wasn 't eighteen, so in your thirties, yeah
0: yeah, and you say that was so important to you, and you mentioned particularly women 's bodies and mm. being able to look at women 's bodies and think about your own and in fact that that happened to me. I was younger, but I was lucky enough to meet feminists who were lesbians when I was still in my teens, I was mm. seventeen eighteen in a city called Leeds in the north of England. And I was devastated when I was asked by this women's group I was in, a feminist group, to come along to examine my cervix. I mean, imagine that. Now, listeners will be, unless... okay, there'll be a few of you who are laughing uproariously or cringing at the same time. Most of you will not know what I'm talking about. So I'm just going to talk about cervixes for a minute and outside of the row that we have currently about whether men can have cervixes, etc. cetera. So the, the deal was, in this consciousness-raising group, as we called them, that girls had been raised to hate our bodies, to mistrust our sexuality, if it wasn't just straightforwardly heterosexual, marry a man and ask no questions. We were taught to mistrust sexual desire, other women, and, of course, all hated our bodies, because, like you, I was routinely called a boy. I had breasts, and I think it was obvious I wasn't a boy, but I was so clearly gender nonconforming. I was refusing to wear the trappings of femininity at school. I wanted to stay away from boys. I wanted boys to stay away from me. Either way, I wanted to be my brothers, because they had more freedom. So fast forward to when I met the feminists and the lesbians. In this consciousness-raising group, they said, look, we don't even know what, where our clitorises are. True. We don't even know what our cervixes look like. Well, true, because they're inside of our bodies. And at that time, of course, most of us didn't have children unless we'd been in previous heterosexual relationships. So we hadn't been to the gynaecologist. So we were in this meeting, in a lesbian-only space... Where we were given mirrors, like hand mirrors, some mirrors that women would use to wear make, to apply makeup, and were encouraged to look at our cervixes. Well, I couldn't see anything. I didn't know what I was looking at. I pretended. I was devastatedly embarrassed, Mm. but actually, and laughed at it. And in fact, we made jokes about it for years afterwards. Oh, God, those women, they're all hippies. They're going to go around looking at their cervixes. But it was important because our bodies were demystified and there were women sitting around who had not shaved the hair from under their arms or on their legs, who loved their own bodies and each other's. And I hadn't got to that stage by then. But it was so important. Now, I was thinking the other day when this row about cervixes resurfaced again, people with cervixes. How would it be sitting in a group like that, examining our bodies to demystify the female form, and some man is sitting there claiming to be a trans lesbian? I, this sounds crazy. And all that time ago, we would have thought that this was science fiction of the most weird order. But this is what we're talking about, isn't it? Mm. That's what, that's one of the things that women only space or lesbian only space gives us the opportunity mm. to do.
1: Yeah. Actually, I, I wrote a book, or I was editor for a book called We Ate, Drank, and uh, Slept Feminism, and we had the it was a women house in Oslo. So these are the, like this from the 70s, and they did this thing. It's <laughs> also with the speculum.
0: Speculum. Yeah. I'd forgotten about the speculum. Yeah. I think I refused yeah. the speculum, because <laughs> it looked way too painful. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: but they did this. I, I mean, and of course, it's just ridiculous to imagine a man there pretending yeah. to pretending. have. Yeah, uh, But that's where we are. You know, you've just given me such
0: an insight into how I failed to find my cervix all those years ago (laughs) because I didn't use the speculum. And the, the weirdest thing about this is, and we can talk about it because we're lesbians and we're feminists and we're proud of reclaiming our bodies from patriarchy, however you want to put it. But, I don't know, when I was in my early 20s, so not that long after that, I went to the doctors thinking that I had some terrible cancer because, of course, in showering, I had felt something that was odd in my body, and it turned out to be, apparently, in the words of the doctor, and this is probably too much information for you listeners, but I don't care that I had a low cervix, which is why it was notable when I was showering. And uh, I don't mean it popped out of my body, I mean that being fastidiously clean, of course, I noticed it. And I thought, my God, if we were told about our bodies... Mm. Without shame or stigma, Mm. I wouldn't have had those weeks of worrying that I was
1: about to die. It's about that, isn't it? Yeah. It's about, I think, in my parents, they had a book called um, Woman, Know Your Body, and it had pictures. And it was, for me, it was very much information. But I think this is what I actually needed. It was information about the female body.
0: So we had our bodies ourselves from the Boston Women's Collective, I think, which went internationally viral yeah. at the time yeah. pre-internet yeah. is it similar
1: to that i think so it was pictures and it's it was like but for it, it was like i wasn't ready because i just when i looked at woman body then i just thought of my mother and uh, when you're 17 you don't want to be connected with your mother you want to uh, yeah but i think this uh, education and the knowledge about the female body today it's i mean we we're in 2023 and girls don't know anything about their body they don't really
0: nothing so except like, for what they're shown through pornography yeah. which yeah. is the most heinous yeah. lie yeah that we can ever propagate
1: it's terrible i mean if i had been in the teen teens today i would have i would i didn't i wouldn't have i i would just have okay i'm going to be a man i don't want this
0: This is all history that that young women... I'm desperate for young lesbians to understand. Not to look back. I think we should always move forward. Mm. But if we don't even know our history, then we're in trouble, aren't we? And many young feminists who do the whole sex work is work, trans women are women, Fine if they've formed those views through proper, rigorous Mm. research, talking to people, reading thinking, being critically, having their ideas critically examined and challenged. But they don't, and we know that. And so I want young women to know the things that we had to fight for that they wouldn't have now. And the reason why I want this is not so they can thank us, but so that they can understand that we are going backwards. We're at a time of terrible backlash, and they could lose the rights Mm. that we and other women fought for on On future generations' behalf. So tell me now, I mean, I know it's, it's a leap from your know, youth and from the time in the lesbian-only collective and looking at the female body and, and that critique of pornography, but I got to know about your life, your case, what was happening for you through reading a headline about how a Norwegian lesbian is facing up to three years in prison on criminal hate speech charges after saying that a man couldn't be a lesbian. I mean, let that sink in. Maybe there's some trans activists listening to this. I hope there are. But let that sink in that you are facing criminal charges. You can give us an update on your case in a minute. Because you pointed out The truth. Tell us what led up to it.
1: In 2017, I I started the debate on how gender identities into legislation is damaging for women and children especially, and also then lesbians. And what actually made me aware of it was like the conference in Oslo, the Socialist Party Conference, when they invited you.
0: And this was in 2017? Yes.
1: And then some trans activists accused you for being transphobic yeah, transphobic, and what shocked me was that these adult women in socialist socialist party they actually they wrote to you and said well, you, you can 't come because you're, we don 't want you because you 're transphobic and just to make clear i wasn 't coming to
0: speak about gender identity, gender ideology, anything to do with trans issues. I was coming to talk about my new book on the global sex trade, The Pimping of Prostitution, which was about violence against women on a global scale, Mm. some of which I'd researched in Norway, so it was highly relevant. Mm. Not about trans, just shutting down, in my view, any women's voices that speak out against male violence would you agree
1: yeah and this was also i i because i i heard about it and then i went i went to the event and there was no trans activists there and there were no men identifying as women so and i think i know the the men in this lgbt in the um, socialist party and I think their their agenda is like to have more access to children and, and women's bodies. And yes. you, you are like the expert on how damaging prostitution is for women. So for them, it's to close down one of the strongest voices on this issue. So, But I, I just thought something is really wrong when the Socialist Party are de- deplatforming you. And then I contacted a national newspaper and said I want to write about this issue. I wrote three pages. Yes, I remember. I
0: remember you. I hadn't made that connection that you wrote that amazing piece.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then they said, OK, you can be a blogger in our newspaper. And then I started, I wrote, I think I wrote about six or seven articles about how the language is changing, how how lesbians are being targeted because they don't want to accept men as lesbians. And then hell broke loose, of course, as it does everywhere. And I was, because I'm an artist, so also I was cancelled like three or two, three times and I lost my livelihood. And they, they also, they went for my wife's job and they contacted my, the employers of my uh, wife and accused her for being transphobic because she she appeared in on the women's day she was with me actually f- for being my bodyguard can uh, i ask what your wife does for a, a job she's a professor in science, nurse science so she's an academic she's in yes. an yes. academic
0: institution Yes. the worst in yes. many ways
1: yes yes so they, oh, that's uh, they contacted she's She has two jobs, but they contacted both. And this was like, uh, for me, this was, then I really, it affected me a lot because at that point I felt that my, me engaging in this issue is uh, destroying, can destroy her. I mean, she has been working for being a professor for like 20 years. So I I, I was really depressed on this, but uh, it turned out she kept her job but and then, but then it's like for me it, it was like okay now I've been in this this discussion for five six years I've lost my livelihood everything they went for my wife's livelihood and I thought I have to do something because they are on social media they are like it's a war and they are winning because they call you Nazi they contact they contact people and talk tell them lies and then there was it in Supreme Court I think it was the thirty of September, 2022, it was a conviction. A man was convicted for hate speech against a man claiming to be a woman. So I thought, I read the uh, uh, conviction, and uh, as I see it, he shouldn't have been convicted. But I think, okay, I'm an artist. I'm a pro- performance artist. And my... Me engaging in this issue has it has like affected me as a woman, a lesbian and an artist. So I will respond and comment comment as an artist. So I used some of his wording, but I attached it to my sexual sexual orientation. So I said something like men permaliping to be a or or fetishizing being a woman. Yes. Are are my the main message was like lesbians have the right to call out abusive behavior and men claiming to be lesbians are they are like it's a principal assault or a principle sexual harassment on lesbians yes. so this is what I did but it's in the when you just narrow it down it's just saying like men men fetishizing being lesbians are just men which is what we've been saying yeah
0: Forever. And when they come to us and say, All you need is a good fuck, or they come and ask for, you know, I used to be walking home with my girlfriend late at night where we lived decades ago in a known prostitution area, and men would stop in their cars and ask if we'd do a lesbian sex show for them. You know, they have long done this. Mm. They have constantly asked us, Which one is the man? Mm. How do you do it? Which one of you has the dick? I mean, this is what we've had to face all our lives and now we've got men saying it pretending to be lesbians and is this joker is this christine gentoft is this the person who made the complaint
1: no actually it was it was an anonymous tip to the to the competence center of hate crime so it's the police the competence center center that has that has reported me and that i I expected this to happen yes so so because what i did was to to i mean this is the hate crime so and in, in in this law it's like my sexual orientation is protected and but in the same law also men identifying as some kind of gendered minority also are protected, so to me it was like a picture i was what I was looking at was like okay, I'm a lesbian and i am I'm in court, and then you have the other side, which is like heterosexual men pretending to be lesbian, accusing me for a hate crime so this picture was uh, i think it was a nice picture, and also i'm I'm an artist, so I think uh, no they have like it's like they ha- have had the command on the on the how to speak of this the narrative but now when i was reported I've, i think they don't they can't control this anymore now it's like up if it comes to the court it's it brings light to yeah. uh, to the whole madness yes and uh, it
0: can be scrutinized yeah. and for the first time ever in the history of everything is the oppressor class, the man, Mm. claiming to be oppressed by the actual oppressed class. So as lesbians, we all understand whatever bigotry there is there against us, we have had a hard time through negotiating our way as out lesbians in general society. We know that other communities display even more extreme anti-lesbian bigotry we know that in some countries such as Uganda it's a criminal offence we understand that for us in Norway and in the UK we have some protections that we fought for I don't feel grateful for them I feel entitled to them Mm. and it's not enough I I don't know about you I've been physically attacked because I'm a lesbian I've been sexually assaulted because I'm a lesbian I've had I've lost jobs and I've lost housing because I'm a lesbian. And this is all material reality, isn't it? And then you've got men, and it's almost always white men, educated white men with money, who tell us that we're oppressing them. This case, in my view, is going to blow open this madness, this appropriation of not just our identity, but this cruelty and sadism mm. in coming after us in a way that is unprecedented. Yeah, if it comes to court. Yeah. Yes, yeah. but even the fact that yeah. it's been brought, yeah. and of course we're... Mm. It would be madness if it went yeah. to court. Yeah. We, we know that. But, see, this this Christine Gentoft, uh, who describes himself as a, a lesbian as mom... As a
1: mother, as a... As a mother,
0: lesbian. Yeah. yeah. So I remember this man sitting in the front row of an event that I was yeah. speaking at with Rachel Moran, mm. who is a sex trade survivor, international best-selling author. She is the founder of Space International, and a global sex trade abolitionist organisation. And Rachel and I came to Norway to speak about abolishing the sex trade mm. and important issues that we were connecting with our Norwegian sisters about. And we had a row of trans activists sitting there, glaring at us, giving quotes to the media about how bigoted, Nazi-like, it was violent, and we were talking about the sex trade. And as soon as we finished talking about those issues, about women being raped and beaten and held captive in South Africa by pimps and other examples of male violence, immediately the hands went up from the trans activist row. This Christine was the first one. Do you include trans women in your analysis? Do you advocate for trans women? And I remember saying, absolutely. I don't want any person, man, woman, child, trans person, to be abused in the sex trade. And, of course, it was difficult for Christine because trans activists, almost to a person... Shrill, support the pimps, the international sex trade. So when you hear the chants, sex work is work, blow job or no job, blow jobs are real jobs, mm. you will then hear trans
1: women are women. Mm. They're the same people. Mm. So what do you make of that? No, but that's the situation also in Norway, because Kristina Jentoff, he's an advisor of the National LGBTQI organization, and this organization is they are fighting to legalize surrogacy, to scrutinize the Nordic model that makes it, yeah. So it's like they are, their agenda is increased access to children and women's bodies. That's, that's their absolutely agenda. so and when they arrive at these events it's, they are just actually saying what about me what about me what about me and we are talking about women who are like in, prosti- in prostitution and it's like they don't care there's no solidarity with uh, with the women who are like uh, being damaged by this so so for me it's like an like you were talking about i haven 't actually met so much what negative things in the society, but in the in these organizations, the queer organizations yes. which are lo- supposed to take care also of lesbians and our interests i mean i've never met such women hate as in these organizations absolutely yeah. agree they they tell lesbians uh, women, why can't you use makeup, why do women smell fish and yes. they are like really. They're, the way they talk about lesbians is not nice, so i've never been been in the organizations but i I have been in the culture so i have i have experienced how how it's actually an abusive culture yes uh, against when and and it's always the lesbians that that have that are like the one who they never give lesbians money for events. It's no lesbian visibility. It's just about the men. It has always been. So it's like, and now they found another way to ignore the, um, to uh, give visibility to lesbians. Because now they found men that pretend to be lesbians. So, yeah. And they always have, haven't they? Yeah. So
0: they used to joke about it. Mm. Men used to tell me, we've got things in common. I fancy women, you fancy women. Mm. And I was thinking, no, that's not actually anything to do with my sexuality. Mm. And that's nothing to do with your desire Mm. to conquest Mm. and sexually objectify and exploit. And, of course, they were desperate for us to be on par with them, as were gay men into BDSM, heavy pornography, cruising for young young men, often underage. And I don't mean because gay men are abusers. I mean because they're men. And so some of them will exploit youth mm. and use pornography, just as do other men. And so they wanted us to have a similar sexuality, to sexually objectify women, to just want to fuck women, to want to be conquerors of women. And when we said, no, 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 that's not us,
1: they were not very pleased. It's weird that lesbians are placed together with homosexual men because I don't know of any groups that are so different when it comes to culture and to... I mean, it's really different. So the only thing that... It it was like to legalise for men to have homosexual men to have sex together. It was all these rights that we had in common, but when in Norway, this was actually in... We had won this fight. And then something happened. And what happened was the... Self, the legislation of self-identification, it came in two thousand and seventeen. But because before this, I'm, I mean, I, I had lots of fights and disagreements with the LGBT organizations. But it was possible to disagree and then go to a bar and take a beer and be friends. not friends but at least not they didn't go for my livelihood but after this legislation of a self self self-identification it was it was like this then suddenly it was like not possible to disagree so i think this these organizations for lgbtq are it's not it's no longer organization for it's organization for people who agree on the politics that wants to legalise the abusive of uh, yes. children and women. And and like you say, surrogacy. Because of course now,
0: if one is to critique surrogacy from a human rights point of view, as opposed to a religious
1: mm.
0: fundamentalist point of view, then you will be called homophobic. Mm. Because of course now gay men think it's their right, mm. because they can't have their own children. Well, guess what? Men can't have their own babies deal with it that's life and so we are always constantly mm. being attacked um maligned defamed and i've had that as you through my life critiquing gay male culture and male violence in general this this fight this craziness this orwellian I think it's probably more like McCarthyite Mm. response to flat earth theory because not one person on this planet thinks that trans women are women is another league. So tell me then about your resistance to this criminalisation, about coming to the UK and the support that you have and I know will continue to have from those of us that Thank you for what you're doing to resist it.
1: Yeah, it's like, uh, for me, I don't believe in the concept of uh, gendered identities. And I think it's my right, or I insist that it is my right to not believe in the concept. And uh, I have experienced how damaging it is for women and lesbians that we have this uh, legislation of gendered identities in Norway. And uh, so it's like, I also, I also, it's like, because it has The legislation has, because it's in the law, it's also being, I mean, the trans activism is, there. it's an abusive activism. So, when I, when LGB Alliance heard that I'm about my case, they invited me to go on a UK tour and talk about the story, because it's, it's a typical story for a lesbian. Uh, in, you have a lesbian and we have one lesbian and one mother in every country and that starts this, starts to react on this. And so, and LGB Alliance is like, it's the largest organisation for lesbians. Do you uh-huh. have a branch of LGB Alliance in Norway? We, we try to start it, but it's like uh, they are just uh, attacking us. So it's like in Norway, I I'm I'm joining the... Women's Declaration with uh, Christina Ellingsen. So it's like, because this is the strongest organisation in Norway. So, well, of course, they are also called, we are also called the Nazis and everything, but uh, everybody who is opposing gender identity... Is a Nazi. Uh, yeah. So... And, and when, when you
0: were invited by LGB Alliance to come to the UK, had it yet become a huge deal about Scotland and its prison policy... Nicola Sturgeon and her it bill. It just
1: started. So it was like in, that was the connection. They were like, yeah, because then you, then because also abroad people think that in Norway everything is fine. The, <laughs> the, it doesn't affect uh, anyone. It's just, yeah, it's working out for everybody. So, and this is not the case. And so I want to talk about how it affects women and especially lesbians on this tour. And how damaging it is when's your first talk? when's your first event? Mm. It's Monday
0: in Edinburgh. so you'll be going to demonstrate, I think outside Cornton Vale prison. is that right? I think so yeah. How exciting yeah. and and so who are you meeting? You're meeting our great friends, Bev and Kate, our godmothers of the lesbian rights movement in yeah. the u k yeah, and Paula. Of course, yeah. Paula
1: Bolton, who's yeah. from Lesbian Labour. That's yeah. excellent. And we, me and Paula are, like, creating the, the artistic programme. So it's, it's going to be concert, music. So you're going to take this concert with
0: you yeah. when you travel around. Yeah. So what we're going to do is put up your programme yeah. of events yeah. where you're going to be so that our listeners can go along, hear you speak, see the artistic event whatever you call it Mm. i don't know what these things are Mm. i'm about as artistic as i don't know this table but this is excellent because there'll be young lesbians who i think are really coming into the fold again Mm. who will be delighted to have you in town Mm. to have you in the uk and to hear about your resistance
1: tell me who you're looking forward to meeting to me, to come into a room full of uh, women and lesbians, that's the that's when I get like this. Goose pimples. Uh, yes. yeah. and it's uh, and I know the faces because I mean, if I go to Spain or uh, Germany, I will. All, you can spot some lesbians. You really can <laughs> yes. spot. And we always do this nodding. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah that acknowledgement. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> So it's like, and their faces makes me, its it really touches me, because it's, um, you know, the fight they have been through. But also, of course, we are doing this for the young generation of yes. lesbians, and we are telling lesbians that you have the right to uh, to call out when men claim to be lesbians and don't mind the words. Yes. Just call it out. I mean, when I was young, we called it, oh, that's a pedo, that's a perv. A pervo. Yeah. And that was to, it was to warn each other about men who didn't respect
0: our sexual boundaries. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's like, so we have, I think that's what Bev and Kate and all of us are trying to do. It's uh, make awareness of how damaging it is, this gender identity thing. And also to, when we meet, we all get this energy and inspiration and agree on how to try to really change it when it comes to each country's legislation.
0: What about the great visual imagery that's been produced by LGB Alliance where we have lesbians of different ages, from different geographical areas, holding up a piece of paper? What does that piece of paper say? Lesbian, not criminal. Exactly. We used to be criminalised. I know that there's this myth that in the UK and elsewhere that there was never any criminal sanctions about female same-sex relationships but actually we lost our children through the family courts we were criminalized in that we were set up and sent to prison because we were seen as so so unacceptable within society we were sexually assaulted and maligned and ended up homeless and all kinds of things happened to us that ended in our criminalization. Mm. And I think what you're doing now is so important, so brave and so pertinent to what's happening now. You're showing the lesbian resistance mm. and you will have such support. And I hope from our heterosexual friends and allies and from those gay men that really have needed to stand up for lesbians before. And thankfully, some of them are starting to do it now.
1: Yeah, yeah. So
0: thank you. And I look forward to seeing you in the UK. Isn't that incredible? That story, that because she refused to accept that an actual man can be a lesbian, that she was threatened with prison for hate speech. If this goes to court, I can imagine the biggest crowd of human rights campaigners outside of that court kicking off and bringing the attention of the world to this madness. Thank you for listening.